Welcome to the Or Halev podcast with Rabbi James Jacobson Mazels. So last time we started talking about the Kaddish. And we started talking about the Kaddish as a practice of expansiveness, as opening up, as widening around whatever's arising for us. And in doing so, in not getting lost in what's happening. In my previous class that I was just in, we just had a whole conversation about anger. And it's a great example of a quality which can arise in us and can sometimes feel like the Ari said when you feel anger it's like a demon has like seized hold of you sometimes and I don't know about your experience but sometimes anger feels like that it's like somebody else has taken over my body right somebody else has taken over my heart and he says like it rips your soul in two it's a the vivid imagery he uses it comes up and he rips your soul in two right but when we can expand and make space around anger. We can really open and open and open around anger. Then all of a sudden, the anger can transform. And it can transform not because we're trying to get rid of it. It can transform because we've given this huge, wide open space for it to dwell in. And in that massive space, the anger doesn't possess us anymore. We are now the container for the anger. Right? And that shift is crucial. It's like, are we being possessed? Or are we the possessor? Are we that which what is happening is arising within? Are we the spaciousness within? Whatever's arising can be made known? Or has it taken us over? Right? And of course, anger is just one example. You can pick your favorite. Do you get taken over by despair, by jealousy, by depression, by confusion, by resentment, by whatever it is, right? You each have your, your special ones, I have my special ones, right? <laughs> They're all dear to us. And so what happens when we get bigger is that we shift our, in a certain sense, we shift the place from which we are identifying from, right? It's like the imagery, um, uh, I was hearing a talk by one mindfulness teacher who was talking about teaching mindfulness to small children. And she was saying, you know, you can't really talk about mindfulness. I mean, you can't write, you can't use conceptual words. Like, it doesn't work, right? You can talk about that with kids. What you can talk about is, she says, it's like, a, it's like, you know, an ocean or a big pool. And there's all these fish that swim by. Right? There's like all these fish that swim by. And, um, and you want to try to be the pool. Don't be the fish. Right? All the fish, all the fish that want to come by can come by. That's fine. You're just trying to be the pool. And one little boy said, "Well, you know, sometimes one fish comes by with just like anger, <laughs> and that's really scary, right? <laughs> the anger fish is a really scary fish, and I feel like it's gonna like eat me up, right? And then I want to like flip the fish, right? <laughs> and she said, "That's right. It makes total sense, right? It makes total sense. And see if you can imagine." that the pool is just really big and there's lots of space for the anger fish to be, right? So you don't have to become the anger fish and you don't have to also beat down the anger, you don't have to harpoon the anger fish, right? You can be the pool in which the fish can be. When we do that, a number of interesting things happen. First, we start to be able to see all these fish, right, which are swimming by. The fear, the anger, the suspicion, the jealousy, the desire, the fantasy, the terror, all of it. We just start to see it, right? And when we see it and we accept it, we allow it to be there, 
What also happens is that all the demons within, all the scary fish, all the sharks, start to see that there's maybe permission to arise. It can actually be a very challenging moment in practice. For those of you who practice a little bit, you may have seen this pattern. It's a pattern that can happen in practice, which is you're practicing, things are going well, you feel quite calm and centered sometimes maybe, practice is going well on retreat and home practice, and all of a sudden, it's stormy, it's ragey, all this stuff is happening. Like, what's, what's happening? I thought I was pretty calm. I thought things were going quite well. And you were quite calm, and things were going quite well. And another level in the psyche kind of said, oh, oh, I see it's safe for me to rise. It's safe for me to rise. It's safe for the next layer of what needs to be worked with to come up and allow that process to happen. And then the next layer of sharks arise, right? It's actually, it's not a failure, it's a gift. Right, it's a gift of saying there's a deeper level of healing that's about to happen, and I've given permission for that deeper level of healing to start to manifest. And if we don't get identified with any of the particular things that are arising, if we choose rather to take the point of view of the ocean, then it's all okay, right? Because the ocean's always okay, right? It doesn't matter, like, the biggest giant squid in the world can arise in the ocean, right? The ocean's still okay. Right, the most terrible storm can be happening, lava, you know, volcano can be happening underneath, like all that stuff can be happening. But the ocean's okay, and the perspective of our practice is the perspective of the ocean. It's that tremendous, <laughs> tremendous expansiveness. It's that infinite expansiveness that we can hold whatever is arising. Of course, it's easy to say that. It's actually, really hard to do that. And it's really hard to do that for a few reasons. The first, which is very important for us to notice and can be a really important insight when we see it, is that we have an unhealthy desire to identify with the scary fish, right? And with the fish they're trying to eat. We want to identify with both the predator and with the prey. We want to get lost in our story about what they did wrong and how I'm the victim and what I did wrong and about how nothing works out. And we want to get lost in that story, which is very important to see. But it's like, well, why do we want to get lost in that story? Because some part of us knows that story is just bad for us, right? It doesn't actually help us. It hurts us. It makes us feel bad. It gets us stuck in places which are not beneficial for us. And yet even when we know that, a part of us wants to get lost in the story. And we want to get lost in it because in some ways it makes us feel safe. In some ways it serves us. Well, the other person is the perpetrator and we're the victim in some way, right? Some stupid way, maybe. And we feel justified and right. And that feeling of being justified and right makes us feel safe and secure in a certain way. Right? Protects us from feeling too vulnerable. We want to get lost in our bitterness and anger, in our denial and blame. Connected especially, you know, when I talked about Kaddish, I talked about it as a mourner saying it. We get lost often in bitterness and anger and denial and blame around loss all the ways we experience loss. Because in some ways it shields us from the enormity of the loss. Right? And the genuine sadness and grief which arise in its wake. And that could be a loss of a person, but it could be the loss of like a job or an opportunity or something that went wrong in a relationship. So just feeling the enormity of like, oh, I really wanted that and it did not turn out. And I'm really sad about it. We get some bitterness and anger because it feels safer. It feels like we're stronger, we're protecting ourselves more. We can get angry at the person who fired us or did this and that. And it doesn't mean, I just want to be clear, the 
person who fired us, the person who did this, it may have actually done something damaging and wrong. Right? It doesn't mean we can't see that. We can see that wisely and be like, oh, that was harmful. I don't want people to do that. And next time somebody tries to do that, I'm going to say to them very clearly, don't do that. Right? <laughs> That's harmful. I don't want you to do that. Right? So it's not about not seeing where somebody may have acted in a harmful way. We want to see that very clearly. And we want to be able to stand up for ourselves. But when we get lost in the bitterness and anger around it, it's really just a mode of protection which is not really protecting us. Right? Just stopping us from feeling the vulnerability and the sadness and the confusion that's underneath, which makes little sense, right? Because we've just lost something, we've just been denied something in some way. We just feel adrift. And the second reason it's hard is that those emotions themselves are just scary. It's scary for us to be with a loss. It's scary to be with the anchor. It's scary to look into the jaws of the shark and say, you can eat me if you want to. But if we're willing to do that, what's extraordinary is that, you know, the teeth fall out. You know, <laughs> that terrible shark which looked like it was going to devour us, all of a sudden isn't so scary, isn't so impressive, isn't so overwhelming. And so we open, we open, we open, we open, and we open, as I was talking about here and on the retrievers in Yom, Yom Kippur, this expansiveness of Kaddish becomes like a mikveh. We say in, 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 in Yirmiyahu, we say, you know, Hashem is mikveh Yisrael, which literally there means the hope of Israel, but, but it's been read as God is the mikveh of Israel. It's like God is that, the divine is that expansiveness that holds us in that full, full openness and allows us to be. And in that sense, Kaddish, this practice of Kaddish we do, this expansiveness is a practice of awe and awesomeness. And in Kaddish we say, right, Yikadal, Yikadash, right, may it be bigger, may it be more holy, um, Yibarach, right, blessed. It's like this constant more and more and more, Yitalav, Yitalav, like this constant praising, praising, praising above and above and beyond, touching into this awesomeness of the divine, beyond all praise, beyond all words, beyond anything we could capture. It's the move in Hasidic parlance from what's called Yiraktana, the small fear, to Yiragadola, right? The great fear, the great fear. It's the move from, the classic example of the small fear is a bear, right? You're walking in the woods, you see a bear, that's the small fear, the bear's going to eat you. You don't want to get eaten, right? <laughs> the great fear is awe. The great fear is God. And the movement between those two places, as we talked about a little bit last time, is the movement of expansiveness. It's like if I see that fear and I'm willing to, with each in-breath, breathe in infinitely, and with each out-breath, breathe out infinitely, I've seen directly in my experience how that small fear, that anxiety, that place of closeness, can turn into awe. As long as I'm willing to expand around it as much as and as much as I can. Baal Shem Tov, the Besh, says, a beautiful teaching, he says, this is... Um, the meaning of this term Rehovot, right? The town Rehovot, right? And the place in the Bible, in the Torah called Rehovot, is the place where Yitzchak went and he dug wells anew, it says in Breshid. He dug new wells in Rehovot. And the Besh says this is the quality of Yitzchak. Yitzchak is the quality of Pachad, a fear of Yirah. And what is this digging of wells? It's this transforming, it's this digging deep to transform this small fear, the fear of like, I'm going to be killed or harmed, into this breadth of Rechavot, into the wideness of Rechavot. Right? I dig, 
I open, I expand, I dig that well which is connected to the source. And all of a sudden I'm in place, a wider place, a place of what they call P-mute. And so we bring our place to that place of constriction and we just expand around it. We fill our lungs with the breath of the world. We notice the place we're tight and we give it as much space as it needs to be. Sometimes the, the imagery I use, it's like there's a huge field and this difficulty is like a horse which is kicking at the stable, right? It's like, oh, there's a huge field you can play in. Just run. Just run and run and run and run and run. And all that spaciousness, all of a sudden there's no resistance. There's only kicking when you're kicking at the wall of the corral. But if there's total spaciousness, there's no resistance. There's nothing to resist. There's nothing to push away from. And in Kaddish, right, we expand by each time creating a little bit more space around that loss. A little bit more space around the experience of the tefillah. And it's interesting, on the Amim Noraim, the days of awe, right, what do we do in Kaddish? So, we say in Kaddish that God is la'ela, mikol birchata v'shirata. God is beyond every blessing and praise and comfort, any, anything you might say. God is beyond that. And on Yemin Norim, and in the ten days of repentance between, we add just one more word. We say la'ela, u la'ela, right? <laughs> if you thought God was beyond, He's even more beyond, right? Wherever you thought, like wherever the mind was trying to get, no, 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 okay, I know it's beyond, but really, it's kind of like this, right? <laughs> really, I can push into some concept. Really, I can put it into some box. Really, I know. Really, I can, you know, take, I can cut it off in some way. Like, no, 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 no. It's beyond even that. Right? It's beyond even that. Beyond even what you thought it was beyond. It's beyond even that. You can get just a little bit wider, a little bit bigger, a little bit more open. We can get a little bit more measureless. It's all about just opening, 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 opening to that measureless space. And in the measurelessnessness, right? <laughs> in the total expansiveness, in the total width and breadth. So what's there to threaten us? Right? And there's something so, if you can just touch it for a minute, it's like, what does it feel like to be the sky or to be the ocean? There's sort of ultimate safety, right? There's just that ultimate basic all rightness. It's like, oh, I'm the sky. Well, you can't harm the sky. You know, all kinds of things can come through the sky, bolts of lightning, planes can fall, right? Birds can fly, all kinds of things can happen. But the sky's okay, right? The sky's okay no matter what arises in the midst of the sky. And if you can touch that sense of so expansive, I mean, you can touch it just just in your body, you can touch it for a moment. It's the difference between the chest being closed and the shoulders being closed, right? And like something's going to happen, something's going to arise, and the open chest and expanded shoulders. So you just open the chest and you can feel, oh, I'm so wide. I'm as wide as the sky. And like that sense of, I'm all right. I'm brave enough and I'm courageous enough to be with whatever arises. You can feel it right there in the body, right? Just in the open chest. I did once this therapeutic technique called rolfing. I've never done it. It's like deep tissue massage and it's incredibly painful. So like, it's like in pain the whole time. Right? Just ripping your body apart. Um, and like, it's very also emotionally intense. All these emotions can come up. It was very helpful for me. And um, <laughs> it was great. Right? So I'd walk out each time and I feel like I was like 10 feet tall. 
and five feet wide, you know? I mean, it was just so expansive. There's just so much room to be. I've just been sort of like pulled apart and not even put back together. Just pulled apart, right? <laughs> and that was okay. There was just so much space in that being pulled apart and being that openness. And our practice in that sense, you know, is like doing that to our heart, not in a violent way, <laughs> but just like, can I pull my heart, can I make my heart so wide that I'm 10 feet tall and 5 feet wide and I can just hold the whole universe in myself. I can just hold the whole universe. There's nowhere to constrict around. There's nowhere to get lost. There's nowhere to close up in fear. And it's interesting in, in Kaddish that um, we use the heat pile form, right? Which, what we generally say is that's a reflexive form. You know, technically, of course, that's not true. Heat pile is not always reflexive. Right? Heat pile is not reflexive. Um, but in this case, it's an interesting read, especially when we say yit kadel. Some say whatever. There are different pronunciations. But when we say yit kadal, that is the is the traditional reflexive form, which is, you know, we're really saying may the name sanctify and increase and praise itself, right? That name, the divinity, which is God, may it open itself, may it expand itself, may it know itself in a certain way. And yet, we're the ones saying it, right? We're the ones saying it. And in that sense, you know, from the Hasidic perspective, we're saying, may we, who are the name, expand and open and become greater and wider and more insightful and less caught, right? We're declaring our intention and hope and task of magnifying this name, which is us. Right? We are exhorting ourselves to become real and sanctified and praised and spacious enough to contain the infinite. We say, right at the end of the Alenu, right? A quote from Zechariah, right? And that day God will be one and his name one. And I, I think it's a, it's a fascinating line. Like, what does it mean for the name to be one? What does it mean for God to be one? And I think there are different metaphors we could think about about how that could work. One way we can make something one is by sticking everything together, right? And there are metaphors like that. Like one Kabbalistic metaphor of tikkun is it's like you pick up the pieces and you put them back together, and that can be a beautiful metaphor of oneness. But the way we're discussing it, and the way I feel it's true in the Kaddish, is that the name becomes one by getting so big that it can hold all the diversity within it. Right? It's so big that it can hold all the difference, all of our difference my joy and my sorrow and my anger and my acceptance and my confusion and my clarity it's like all of it it can hold all of it within it I don't need to destroy anything I don't need to get rid of anything it's just wide enough to hold everything every single piece of what's arising it's wide enough to hold it all and that's the real unification it's not a unification where we have to get rid of anything or erase anything or say no to anything it's unification where we're so big and we're so wide that we can hold it all. That we can become wide enough to hold the loss, to hold the bitterness and the anger and the unfairness and the rage, to hold it all. To hold it all in this tremendous loving container, which is us, who are the name. So we're going to pause there for today. Next time we're going to continue more with this exploration and we're going to talk about kind of, just to give you a sense, we're going to talk about sort of 
the self-consciousness of the Kaddish around that, how we know ourselves to be that expansiveness and why that's important, and how it encourages us to work with things just as they are. That's sort of where we're going to go in that movement. Um, so now, as always, we're going to take some time to open it up to thoughts, comments, questions. What's happening for you guys in this practice at this moment? Um, I'm just wondering, I, more of like a technical question. Yeah, good. Um, I, I'm focusing my breath, and sometimes, usually when I sit, I'll sit and choose a technique. And so what I'm finding is I'm sitting and I'm focusing my breath, I might feel anxiety come up. And then I'm not sure if I should acknowledge it and then come back to the breath. Or at other times when I'm focusing, doing, using a technique where I follow the most present feeling, it can be helpful to focus on that feeling and focus on what the anxiety feels like. So I'm wondering, should I, if a feeling comes up, would you recommend staying and focusing on the breath and acknowledging it or focusing on that feeling? Or then yeah. sometimes I just find I'm all over the place. Uh, the answer is it depends <laughs> but I'll talk about how it depends in and out. Um, there isn't an answer to that we are trying to be present with what is happening right now that's all we're trying to be right? and so if anxiety is arising let's be present with anxiety but we are also trying to train the mind so that it can be present with whatever's arising and that means we have to develop concentration because if we don't aren't able to develop concentration, then we can't develop mindfulness because the, the mind can actually hold the object in its awareness in order to be mindful of it. Right? So if the mind if the mind's just getting lost all the time, then we can't bring mindfulness there. Right? So the concentration is an essential part of the mindfulness practice, even though it's not the goal of the practice. So when we constantly come back to the breath, we are developing that concentration. Right? So in some ways, it depends a little bit on a few things. First of all, it, uh, for me, how do I look at it? Is, did anxiety just come up like three times? It's come up a few times, and it's probably calling for your attention. And I would say, turn towards it, and just like, I'm just going to be with you right now. Right? That's one piece. Second, how settled is my mind today? If my mind is all over the place, then I'm probably not going to be able to be with the anxiety. So I probably need to work on staying with the breath today and just develop that concentration. If the mind is feeling quite settled, oh, then maybe I open more to the anxiety or open more to like open awareness or whatever the most prominent sensation is, right? So you want to kind of just see like what's happening with the mind. Um, sometimes, right, instead of choosing be with the breath or be with the anxiety, what you might do is a kind of technique um, which you can do through labeling or through what is called titrating, right? you know, chemistry, but it's a way of like touching that and coming back. So you might be like breath, 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 anxiety, 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 breath, 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 in a conscious way, right? So you're like, I'm going to be with anxiety for four breaths, then I'm coming back. I'm going to be with anxiety for four breaths, then I'm coming back. With labeling, you might be like rising, falling, sitting, Anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. Tightness in the chest, tightness in the chest, tightness in the chest. Movement in the tummy, movement in the tummy, movement in the tummy. Rising, falling, sitting. See what I'm saying? Right, so you've got that sort of basis there. You're not just getting lost. You're touching it. It sees the love and acceptance. There's no rejection of it. If you're like, but I'm, I'm doing this for like four breaths or for like that many times. I'm going to say three of each thing. And then I'm coming back. Then I'm coming back. So basically you can try those different things out and see what's sort of most effective and what works well. The, the important thing is two things. One is to notice, uh, is the mind getting lost? You know? And two is, is the mind getting overwhelmed? 
if you're turning to the anxiety and you're getting overwhelmed by the anxiety, so that's not helpful. Right? So that's not helpful. And then you want to be like, okay, where can I go to not be overwhelmed? Then maybe the breath, maybe a positive memory, maybe a neutral place in the body, so that I feel like I'm like, oh, I'm coming to the inside of the knee. Nothing's happening in the inside of the knee. This may be going crazy. Inside of the knee, totally neutral. Just going to be with that, right? Let the mind settle. Now the mind is settled. Now I can come back to the chest and tummy or the shoulders or wherever the anxiety is. Right? So trying to make sure the mind isn't lost and it isn't overwhelmed. And coming back and finding that space in the middle. Great question. Would you recommend similar strategies for thoughts and feelings of joy and happiness that feel good and I want to stay with those? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right? Just notice it. Right? It's like, oh, joy. And and you can appreciate it in the noticing. Nothing wrong with that. It's like joy. That's lovely. <laughs> like, how nice. Hi, joy. Hi, joy. Hi, joy. Right? Breath, breath, breath. Hi, joy. Hi, joy. <laughs> totally. Right? And notice if there's some clinging to it. It's like, don't want that to go. Right, then you can notice, oh, clinging, clinging, clinging. Breath, breath, breath. I have a question. So, um, particular to like the metaphor you gave about the image of the inner portion. So, uh, so uh, like I, 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 I suffer with a lot of depression, and um, when I'm in that space, like at its height, it doesn't. It feels like it's it's oceanic. Yes. And. I'm actually in the middle of it. Yeah, so that's like right. The opposite, almost the opposite of what you're saying. I mean, of, of that image. Yeah, totally. And, um, so I'm just wondering, and 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 it's incredibly focused, right? I mean, like when you're like seriously in any one emotion, like you can't invite anything else in that. That is like that's. Yeah. Yeah. So so um, so I'm wondering, without getting too intellectual about it, if there's a way you can kind of hold that in. Instead of like in my experience, like the mind just ruminates endlessly. Yes. And and that is you know not only is it not productive, it's also really uh, physiologically, uh, energetically exhausting. That's right. And just reinforces the depression, right? The yeah, depression. Exactly. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that's exactly what we're talking about. And you, your image of me is great. You're getting possessed instead of being the possessor, right? It's like you're inside. You're contained in the ocean of depression. Instead of you being the container which is holding the depression in it. So, how do you switch that relationship? Right? How do you move from, I feel overwhelmed and completely caught in this, to I've got some perspective around it? So, I'm going I'm to tell you a number of things you can do. Okay? There's a number of things you do, and you're going to have to try them out and see what is easier for you, what's more possible for you, what works better. Okay? Before it settles in, or whenever? No, whenever. Just, I mean, if you see it before it settles in, that great, but right. often you don't see it then, right? <laughs> you see it when you're already smack bam in the middle of it, right? And you're totally overwhelmed with it, exactly. Okay. So you're overwhelmed and you're in the middle of it. So one thing you can do um, is, first of all, just actually try to, and just, it's like a conscious switch, stop and observe the depression. Right? Observe the depression. And then try to back up from it. Maybe somewhere and you have to kind of visualize it. So like the depression's here and I'm like going up a ladder, a hill, a mountain. I'm going to get as much distance as I need until I feel some space between me and the depression. Right? So it's like I'm observing it. I see it. I don't have to do anything to it. But I'm just creating a lot, a lot, a lot of space. And I'm going to back up as much as I need to back up. So it doesn't feel like the tendrils of the depression are overwhelming me but there's space for me outside of the depression. 
And it's really sort of an energetic feeling. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to back up, back up, back up, back up. And see if that gives you some sense of space around it. It's one thing you can do, right? So you're backing up. And if you can notice already that you're not the depression, right, from seeing it, that already can sort of break that cycle. That gives some more spaciousness. In particular, what you can do is when the rumination happens, right, the mind starts going crazy, you notice the rumination, and you can ask yourself, what does that feel like in the body? Right? What does the rumination feel like in the body? Then you come to your body, and you're going to feel something in your body. Tightness in the chest, dropping feeling in the stomach, something in the shoulders, wherever you feel it. Neck, you know, chin, you know, it's going to be somewhere in here for most people. And then you want to bring your attention fully, 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 fully to the body. And with as much compassion and love as you can muster, embrace and create a loving container for the feeling of the body. And I will often speak to it directly, so I'll see something like, Come on in, sweetie. Come on in, honey. You can be here. You're welcome to be here. I'll put my hand on my heart right, to let it know that there's space here and there's love here. You can be here. You're welcome to be here. Come on in. In the in-breath, I'm going to welcome you in. In the out-breath, I'm just going to soften into you. But welcoming and softening the bodily sensation, not the thoughts. It's very important to make the distinction. So you see the thought. You ask, how does it feel in the body? You come directly to the body. And you just stay there in the body. The third thing is that, um, especially sometimes when we can't do either of those two things, we're like too trapped, we're too caught in it, we can't do those things, is to get the mind to break uh, the cycle, to break the place, and get the mind out of there in some way, to give the mind a little bit more buoyancy. That'll also help you to relate to it and create sort of the you being the ocean instead of being trapped in the ocean. There are a number of ways you can do that, some of what I just mentioned. One of which is to come to a neutral place in the body. So you go to the bottom of your feet, the, the elbow, the inside of your knee. Instead of being with this part of the body, which is normally where we feel our emotions, we go to some place where no emotion is happening. And we bring all of our attention to the neutral place until the mind feels calm and no longer stuck in that place. And if we wish to, either we can go about our day or we can say, okay, now I'm turning back to the depression. But now I can see that the distance between me and the depression. So now I can hold the depression in love instead of being lost in it. Another thing you can do is to bring up some memory or image, which like you bring it up and you just feel good. It's like, oh, I remember dancing that time. It was just so joyous. Or a, a person who you love simply. You bring up that person's image and you just smile. Like my niece or nephew, and it's like, oh, just love them. Uncomplicated. Smile. Grandparent, it's like, oh, just love you to see that person, right? And you want to have that. You want to think about it now. You want to have that in your pocket. And when you feel like, oh, I'm getting lost, it's like, I'm just going to bring that up. And that also, again, it gives you that little bit of like, oh, mind doesn't have to be lost in there. A little bit of buoyancy and place around where now I can see and relate to it. The third thing you can do, which is very helpful, is to do some practice which explicitly cultivates a positive mental quality. Now, that can be, you can do it in a thousand ways. Some of the ways you may have done in this practice is a blessing practice, right? or a metta or loving-kindness practice, which cultivates loving-kindness, or a practice. Um, last year we did at the beginning of class for a long time, people may remember, this practice of welcoming and love and noticing that we are loved. So all of those practices, any of those practices, um, help us start to feel more loved or joyous, or et cetera, et cetera. And any way that we can bring those qualities into the mind can break that cycle, right? And when we do that, A, it makes the mind more buoyant, and then B, from that space of more buoyancy and spaciousness, 
then we can turn towards whatever the depression, let's say, is and be able to contain it rather than it containing us. What we want to do, as I mentioned, this, this technique called titrating, which I talk about in mindfulness. So what we want to do is notice the depression, right? Create however that was effective for us, the spaciousness around it, or whatever it is we're working with, depression, anxiety, jealousy, it doesn't matter what we're working with. Be in that place until we feel stable, and then come back to the depression from the place of, I can now contain you rather than you containing me. And then when we notice, oops, it's getting a little bit overwhelming, I'm sinking into it, then we go back to whatever that other place was. Whether it was the neutral place in the body, backing up, whether it was cultivating loving kindness, whatever those places are, right? We go to that place where the mind can be more buoyant and free, stay there as long as we need to, and then come back to the depression again. Make sense? Yeah. Great. Um, and, and, and secondly, I just want to say, an, an, and the addition is, some sort of meditation techniques, if there's anything you know in your life which breaks that cycle a little bit, going running, you know, for me, exercise right. really helps. They talk about that in psychology, like, like if you're bedridden, let's say, like you're, you're paralyzed, but yeah. whatever you're feeling, yeah. so you're, like how do you break that physical space? Exactly. So like, get up and jump, go running. I don't know. I don't know what helps. You know, I mean, you have to figure out what helps you. I know exercise often helps people. But if there's anything that you know, it's like, oh, doing this is going to help me, then do it. And the last thing I'd say, and this is, you know, uh, maybe we'll do a talk about this again because it's very important. It's important about all of this and everything we're doing in all these pieces, is that we actually want to be conscious and dedicated to creating that buoyancy of the mind regularly, not just when the depression arises, right? And that means, you know, what I tell people in general, what I tell myself is, list three things that bring you joy. And then sit down and figure out in your week, in a regular way, when you're going to do those three things. Right? I'm doing every week, in a regular way, three things that bring me joy. Right? Because it makes a huge difference to the capacity of the mind. When we're more stressed, overwhelmed, sad, whatever, the mind is less able to be the ocean. It's less capacious and less able to hold it. The more we can bring the buoyancy in any other ways that we can, the more capable the mind is in holding that width and being the ocean rather than getting lost in the ocean. One last short question. (laughs) Well, my answer may be short for now. Um, It's also a technique question. Yeah. Last time you were talking a lot about expansiveness, and also tonight, you gave an example of how to. Increased expansiveness, yeah. infinite breathing in, yeah. infinite breathing out. And yeah. You had other techniques you were going to share. Yeah. I wonder if you could share one more. Sure. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah, it's good. Um, so, one way I do that same thing sometimes, which has been helpful for me, is I picture myself doing mouth to mouth resuscitation with God. <laughs> and the image is sort of funny so both right but there's something that also has that feeling sometimes of just like total openness it's like oh I'm just breathing into God and God's just like breathing into me it's like how much space is there there how much space is there there right so that imagery just helps me sometimes and because it's that funny imagery it also like can jump me out it's like oh just how like oh yeah being filled with the breath of God just like Adam was right and then I'm just filling God right back up it's like we're just exchanging exchanging air another uh, way which I talked about briefly before is that I'll picture whatever it is uh, that I'm working with the tension and the difficulty and I'll actually put it in like a field and then I'll just keep making that field bigger a physical field? yeah it's like a, like a field, you know, like a grassy field in the middle of the mountain. 
as I breathe in, it's like each time I breathe in, the field gets bigger. And each time I breathe in, the field gets bigger. And each time I breathe in, the field gets bigger. And each time I breathe in, the field gets bigger. And it's going to keep just getting as big as it needs to get until it feels like it's big enough that it totally holds that. You know what I mean? It's not being threatened anymore. And you might want to play with your own sort of imagery there. You know, what helps? For me, it's the in-breath that helps that. It's like the in-breath. Oh, I breathe in. I can feel the expansion. Maybe because, you know, my chest and lungs are expanding anyway there, so it's a natural expansion place. So I can expand, I can expand, I can expand, I can get wider and wider. Again, another way is that Naya just mentioned, just slightly different, but however, which is the backing up. The backing up is like, can I get enough distance so that I can expand around it? Because sometimes we're kind of just too lost. And we're too lost in it, and there's no even room for us to expand until we back up a little bit. You've been listening to the Or Halev podcast with Rabbi James Jacobson Mazels. For more information about Or Halev and how to stay up to date with our podcasts, visit the website at orhalev.org.